Okay. Well, you can open up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We're going to be continuing our, our series called Vision. And last week we talked about having a vantage point that gives us the ability to see things more clearly. And that vantage point is something that Paul is really uh, expounding throughout the book of Ephesians. It's interesting because most of Paul's letters uh, were written to the churches to deal with specific problems. The church of Corinth, the church of Galatians, the Galatia. Um, and throughout that letter, we see him talking about these things. He kind of hammers home problems and dealing with those. But really, this letter seems to be different because his primary purpose is just to enlighten those who are followers of Christ. It's not to correct them about anything specific, but it's to enlighten them. They, they've become followers of Christ, but now what does that mean? What, what has happened? How does that show up in our lives? And what's happened between them and God? And so here we're seeing Paul kind of expounding this understanding of this new vantage point that they have in Christ, this new vision that we are to have as well as followers of Jesus. And it's important that we see that he's trying to get us to see things from a different perspective. Have you ever looked at a family photo? You know those kinds that are really big. That they, they scroll them out, right? You know, it's like the, all the families, the cousins, they're all there, and the nieces and the nephews, and, and it can't be taken on a picture. It's one of those ones you have to roll out, and they give them to the family. You know, you unroll it, and it's at a park usually somewhere, at least all the ones I've done uh, with my wife's family. I don't know if it's a Mexican thing or if it's everything, but we, we've done it with her family, I think, a few times. And... You, you look at and you find the, the picture and you see, you know, they have the babies. The mama's holding the babies and they're just maybe a few months old, haven't learned how to walk. They're in all their baby clothes and the mama's holding them. And then somewhere behind the mom and the dad is her mom and dad standing there, you know, above them, you know, happy that their kids are there, happy that their grandkids are there. And maybe there's even the grandparents besides that, the, the great grandfather and the great grandmother of the baby and, and and you see this all in this picture and you know if you were to just look at the the little child you say oh look at that's a cute baby but you start panning out and there's oh there's a family and then there's a bigger family oh there's a bigger family oh and, and this is a huge family and then there's the patriarchs right the the grandfather the grandmother the great-grandmother and grandfather the ones who are responsible for everybody right there's 50 people there but there's two that have caused this whole thing. And they're responsible. And what we're looking at here through the book of Ephesians is the big picture. We're seeing how we too are connected. That our individual stories are connected to a much bigger story. And if we don't see that, then we'll misinterpret a lot of what's taking place in this book. If we take these things and just make them about us and don't connect us to the bigger us, then we're missing the point of what Paul is trying to 
tell us here? And last week we really ended with verse 3. We kind of touched on the things, but let's read that again. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is the springboard. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this is something that we are supposed to understand. He wants us to acknowledge that this is the reality that we're living in right now. Are we acting that way? Are we behaving as if we have all these spiritual blessings? And then he goes on into a prayer. And we're going to break the prayer up a little bit, but let's continue verse 4 and go through verse 10. He says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glory, glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul makes me feel good here because he has a really long sentence that kind of runs on, and I do that often. Um, But in this prayer, he's almost preaching something here in the prayer, which also makes me feel good because I've been told, you know, when you pray, you're really just continuing your preaching. And it's like, oh, I didn't mean to, but Paul did it, so I'm okay. Um, But we see here that he starts declaring some things in this prayer that I think are really important. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then it's, connected to in love. Now, in love actually connects to the next verse, but he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Being chosen is just the beginning. And being chosen in him is, again, connecting us to something that is bigger. You see, we are not chosen for our sake. We are chosen for the sake of what God wants to accomplish through us. So he's chosen us in him. From for the foundation of the world, because he's wanting to do something in and through us. God's intent is that we would not only believe in him, but we would experience him in such a vital and active way that our lives and the reality of our lives are connected to all that he is doing, that we'd be awakened to his presence and that we would be aware of it more frequently and more often. 
That we would live in this understanding that you have been chosen in Him from the foundation of the world, that you have now a purpose that is connected to His purpose. And that would be something that would influence how we live every day. Not just when we show up on a Sunday or a midweek, but it would be the reality that we're living in and understanding this is something that He has done and He's done this so that we would be holy and blameless in His sight. Remember, the idea of holy is a relational term and not a moral one. It's not you are now holy and don't sin. It's now you are set aside for a purpose. You see, what makes something holy isn't the lack of sin. What makes something holy is the connection, the sacredness that's connected to God because it belongs to God. Uh, People and things aren't sacred for themselves, but for their connection with God. The Sabbath was sacred or holy Why? Because God set it apart. The temple was holy. Why? Because God's presence was there. Take off your sandals, Moses, for the ground you are standing on is holy ground. The ground wasn't holy. The presence of God made it holy. You see, and now we are being set aside. We we have been chosen to be holy and blameless. We are chosen to be connected in relationship to God. And the idea of blameless is not to say that you've never done anything wrong, but we are absolved from the past wrongs that we have done. Does that ring true in your own heart? Do you feel resolved or absolved from all the wrongs that you have done? Or do you feel like you still need to pay a little bit? I need to pay for not silencing my phone. I think a lot of times we hold on to that guilt. We hold on to that shame. And the idea of being absolved from those things is something that's difficult for us to to let go of. And so he's saying that we are now connected to God and blameless in his sight. And it's in love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Again, we're seeing this through Jesus Christ. You see, people who are connected to God and brought into this sonship, this adoption, this being connected to him as a family, get to enjoy the absolution of their wrongdoing because of Jesus. David said in Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And what God is doing in our lives is absolving us from this brokenness that we have. He is taking us 
out of this. Now, one of the things that happens, I'm going to talk about this probably a little bit more on a Sunday, but I didn't think I was going to use my chalkboard, but I am. One of the things that happens is we are each born a self. Okay, that's you, that's me. We're, we're born a self. We, we are a, a human being. But then as time goes on, and it doesn't take very long for time to go on, the self gets surrounded by shame and guilt. Things that you do, things that you fail to do, things that you know that you do wrong. And this can happen from when you're young. There are things that you do when you broke the neighbor's toy and put it back like it never happened and then... It really did happen. Maybe you did that. I don't know where that came from. Um, things like that that happen and, and you just like, oh man, I remember that time that I did this. And you bear the shame of those things. And those things accumulate throughout your life. I mean, it, it's kind of ongoing. It starts when you're young and then it develops and grows more. And so what we do is we try to cover that shame with different things to make ourselves look good. And so what we do maybe is I'll add some humor here. I'll just be funny. If I'm funny, maybe people will not see my shame. And we start covering our shame thinking that people will not see it, that we won't have to deal with it. It might be intellect. If I can show myself very intellectual, then people won't see my shame. It could be talent. If I'm talented, if I'm a good musician, if I'm a good athlete, then maybe people won't see the shame. And we start hiding ourselves with all these things to try and cover our shame, but we're not really seeing us. We're seeing all the covers that we put on of ourselves. We start putting this facade on of what we are as people because we don't want people to see who we really are. And what God does is he takes our shame and he says, I know all of it and I will deal with it. So that you don't have to cover it because I'm putting it away so that you can actually be who you were supposed to be now. And now you are wholly connected to God and blameless, not surrounded by shame. And it gives us a new lot on life. And so he, he goes on and he tells us that we've been predestined And that's such a big word, but he says predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus. Predestined us to adoption. He's predetermined that we would be adopted into his family. And again, it's through Jesus. What God predetermined was a plan for all of us with the goal of reconciliation to himself. What God has said I want you to be my child. And I've made a way from before the foundation of the world for that to happen. It's in Jesus Christ. Every person is intended 
is an intended recipient of God's work. Everyone, not just some, everyone is intended to receive this gift that God has given. And though it's offered to all, neither the plan nor the reconciliation are forced on anybody. Everyone has to choose. Those who choose God and surrender to His will are all of a sudden fully vested in His plan, all of it. When you say, I choose your will, God, for my life, I accept what you've done for me, the payment you've made, and we're going to go on to that right now, then all of what He's given belongs to us. It's in a a legal term as far as when you have a family and your possessions go to your children, it's passed on. Everything that belongs to you belongs to them down the line. He's connecting us all to himself in that same way. And even then, the working out of God's plan in the individual lives, it's a process. It's something that happens. Our sight of this, our understanding of this happens gradually. If you haven't noticed, I didn't become a follower of Christ and boom, I've got everything, I know everything, and there's no growth necessary. No, I have to grow. And that's why even in verse 18, he says he prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Well, they're already followers of Christ, but they needed to see things more clearly. And so do we. I I need to understand this adoption more clearly. I need to understand what this means to be his child. What belongs to me if I am in his family? I need to pan out and see what is actually happening. And see, adoption is one of those metaphors that are used throughout the New Testament. It's used to represent our relationship with God. We become His with all the related privileges and responsibilities, and He becomes ours. We now have His name. When I was adopted, I have shared this before, I got a new birth certificate. My birth certificate had my new name. My name used to be, my last name used to be Earl. But they gave me a new birth certificate and it had everything else was filled out the same, the hospital and everywhere I was born, Flagstaff, Arizona, but the name was changed. And it was if I never was Earl before, I've always been Scotty. Why? Because when you are adopted, this becomes who you are. And when we are adopted as his children, this becomes now our identity. And our past, our present, and our future are connected to his identity. This new family is who we are, who we belong to. And why would God adopt us? I mean, why do people adopt? Sometimes it's for financial reasons. They get more tax write-off. But God says that he adopts us 
because it's according to his pleasure that he wanted to. He made us sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Understand that the reason you have been brought into his family is because it pleased him to do so. God's will is a force that sets things in motion and moves them in a particular direction. God's will was to bring us into this family. And so he set the the ball rolling way back in Genesis for these things to happen. And it was known even before that that this was his desire, this was his good pleasure, this was his will all along. This force is at work even now in your circumstances. Do you recognize that? Do you understand that the will of God that has brought you in by his good pleasure to make you his child is still at work in your circumstances today? Even if you go to the doctors and they find something that makes you fearful. Do you realize that you still are a child by his good pleasure? That he has reached out to us. And God has willed to adopt us because it gives him pleasure. And if we were to ask him why, he'd say, I wouldn't do this if I didn't want to. This is what I want to do. How does that make you feel? To know that you have someone who wants you to be a part of their family because it brings them pleasure. It's their desire to do that. And so he's pulling us into this now heritage. Now we are part of this family that God has established. And Paul is not saying here are the blessings that can be yours. What Paul is saying is these are the blessings that are already yours because of who you now are in Jesus. And he goes on and unfolds this. He says he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his good pleasure to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. He's given us this grace in the one he loves, speaking of Christ. In him, Jesus again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And here is one of the things that Paul is trying to to bring out is the idea of redemption. And here the picture starts to pan back even further because when you start thinking of redemption, the idea of being redeemed is the idea of buying something back. It's purchasing something. And when they would think of redemption, the Hebrew mind would go all the way back to the Passover. And so we pan back years and see that God has had this idea of redeeming his people for a long, long time. And we are now connected to that idea. We are connected to that intention that God has had all along. And so it is one challenge to grab 
hold of what Paul is saying and it's another challenge to actually respond to it and, and to experience. Okay, you have been bought by God and now you belong to Him. It's one thing to think about it. It's another thing to live as if that is really the truth. And you see, this is where Paul is trying to take us who are followers of Christ and help us to see who we are and what belongs to us as children of God. How do we move into this experience of this blessing? How to how do we move into this new life that he gives us as children that he has bought back and redeemed? What what does this look like? And, and what we have to first of all do is Take the time to, again, process what's happened. To actually step out and see things different. Remember last week I gave you guys an exercise to practice. Anyone practice that this week? No? None of you did. Okay, you all get Fs. Okay. The idea is when you went through something, could you stand back away from whatever the circumstance was and see things the way God sees them. And the same thing can happen with these areas of recognition. When you are going to recognize that you are now part of God's family and the blessings of God are yours now, can you stop from whatever the busyness is, take a step back and say, okay, this is who I am. This is where I am in God's presence. But I said something I shouldn't have. I did something I shouldn't have. I I doubted. I I, I was, you know, not very faithful and faith you know, less more than faithful in my week. What do I do now? You stop, recompose yourself, and remember who you are. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he has done because he's the one who's brought these blessings. They're not just thoughts that we have. They're supposed to become the, the pulse and the rhythm of our life. What would change if it was a constant in your mind that you were right before God and were his child? How would it affect what you do? That you didn't have to cover your shame because it was dealt with. How would you live differently if you had no shame? You have no shame. Do you know that? And if you don't, you need to pause and you need to step back and see the bigger picture of what God has done for you. That you are part of this family and it's his pleasure to bring you in to this family. How does Jesus deal with our sin? How does he cover us? 
He secures the forgiveness of our trespasses. He gives us an insurance that says, I've got this. You guys have car insurance, at least you're supposed to. And if you get in that accident and you know you have insurance and you know you've dealt with your insurance company before, you say, oh no, you got in a car. Yeah, it's okay. It's covered. What does that mean? It means the damage that's there is going to be fixed and I don't have to pay for it. It's been paid for. See, what Jesus is doing is giving us this insurance. Whenever we're troubled by the guilt that we have, we can return to our redemption, to the living, active, ongoing reality of our lives. No, it's covered. My shame, oh, it's dealt with. Christian spirituality begins with redemption. This connection to God begins with him redeeming us. How effective is your coverage? Well, I got AAA. I got State Farm. I got Jesus. Right? That's the idea. I, I, how good is your coverage? It's really, really good. There's no deductible. It's covered. And it's what makes it possible for us to go forward with God. We can now surrender to the work that God is doing in me because we don't have to hide the shame. We don't have to cover ourselves with the efforts to try and make ourselves look more presentable, to act holy. You are in relationship with God. To be blameless, you are blameless. You're brought into the family. And so think of all the people who have gone before us throughout Scripture. Think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Think of the prophets. All those who have gone before their encounters with God. And God seldom had anything to do with their will, their purification, personal preparation, maturity, their holiness. Everything had to do with God's will and grace. In other words, God was the one who was moving this along all along. Who sought out God? Abraham or did God seek out Abraham? Abraham didn't seek God. God sought him. Who sought Moses out? Moses didn't seek God. God sought Moses. God sought you. God was reaching out for you. He tells us, verse 8, let's take 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. We've been bought back. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So we've been bought. He's bought us with his surplus. And then notice in verse 8, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He, he didn't just 
give you something. He lavished something on you. I'm, I'm going to tell on somebody right now. You know, Allie is pregnant. And she's going to have a little girl. Julie is lavishly buying things for this little girl. If you guys have seen the things, it's lavish. She's got things, and then she's got things for the things. She is so excited, she cannot buy enough. Because she just wants to give. That's the idea of God is lavishly pouring out to you and to me. Lavishly doing these things for us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect with the, when the times reached their fulfillment. The f- mystery of his will. The idea of God's mystery is connected to the revelation of his intention, which is Jesus. The mystery of God is the revelation of Jesus. From years, people are wondering, how is God going to bring about blessing to the nations? Through you, all the world will be blessed. How is God going to do that? The mystery is now revealed. It's through Jesus. And that's what he says according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is such a powerful thought. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. What are these things he's wanting to bring unity? Is it the trees? The rocks? It's the people. No doubt he has in mind the Jew and Gentile here, unity, because that was one of the things that were so divisive at that time. The whole idea here is what God is doing is creating a whole new humanity. And he's bringing this whole new humanity into this one family. And the picture just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it keeps unfolding and it keeps unfolding and it keeps unfolding. And there you are. You're now part of the family portrait. You are here. And it all goes back to Christ. He has purchased you, dealt with your shame, bought you back so that now you belong to him. And you see, the reality is the brokenness, the the repair that we needed was more than we could afford to pay. I didn't have enough to cover the damage that was done to my own soul. It's 
like if you get in a car accident and you have a nice car and you don't have insurance. How much is that going to be? Oh, that's going to be $15,000. What? I don't have $15,000. It was more than we could pay. But he could. And so now in Christ, you and I are covered. It's paid for. The damage that we did, he's able to undo. He's able to take away its long-term effects. There might be some short-term scars, but the long-term effects are gone. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we'll get to it in a few weeks, it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And here's where we start to, again, understand that the reason you were chosen the reason you were predestined, the reason you were adopted and brought into this family wasn't just for you so that you could now be a part of the work that this family is doing. It's not just about you getting saved. It's about you becoming a part of the movement of God that is bringing all these things to unity in heaven and on earth under Christ and understand that no one loves you more than God. That no one is for you as much as God is for you. And no one finds more joy in you than God. Do you understand now who you are in him. Do you understand that this is now your family? That you are in this? And that, like that grandmother and grandfather that are beaming with all those great-grandchildren and they're thinking, yes, this is all because of me. Jesus is now standing up and he's saying, all this, it's because of me. We get to be the ones that he dotes over and cares for and loves. Let's pray. Father, what amazing, amazing love you have lavished on us that we would be called your children. Lord, that from the foundation of the world you chose us to be a part of this family, that you predestined us to be adopted as your children, God, that it was your desire not only to bring us into your family, but to allow us to be a part of the work that you've been doing for centuries. And Lord, this work is bringing unity to everything in heaven and in earth. God, you are creating a new humanity, Jew, Gentile, black, white. Oh God, we, we need this understanding now more than ever. If we realize this, Father, how it would change our country, how it would change the, the problems that we see on the news and face, how it would tear down the division, Lord, as you would bring this unity of who we are in you to the forefront. 
And Lord, I pray that everyone here would be able to recognize now how much you care and how much you've done. And Lord, that we would not live trying to hide our shame, but recognize that you have bought that. You have paid for it. You have redeemed us. And that now we are covered in you. And I do thank you for this, Father. And I thank you for the reality. And may we take time this week to again pause. And when shame starts to take control of our minds and our thoughts, that we would be able to step back and see that we are not covered with shame, that we are covered with you, Jesus that you have dealt with our shame and that you are now redeeming who we are so that we can live fully for you. And I pray we would do so in Jesus' name. Amen.